Thanks for pressing play. On September 15th, 2022, Adobe announced that it was buying startup Figma for 20 billion US dollars. This is one of the largest private company purchases in Silicon Valley history. They paid approximately 50 times Figma's 2022 revenue, and Wall Street hated it. As a matter of fact, you might say they fucking hated it. Adobe, as of right now, has lost approximately a quarter of their market cap since the deal was announced. Skeptics are saying that they paid a, quote, astronomical price for a company projected to book only $400 million in ARR, annualized re- reoccurring revenue this year. And this is exactly what people who do not understand how categories work always say when deals like this happen. And, and of course, there's exceptions, but that said, the, quote, experts on Wall Street, when deals like this go down, are almost always wrong. On this episode, let's pop the hood on why. Now, are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue is arguably the most important question in business. And most CEOs, CROs, CMOs, CFOs, and UFOs have a very hard time answering this question. That's where my friends at Clary come in. You see, Clary is the world's first revenue platform. With Clary, you can take an enterprise approach to collaborating on and governing the entire revenue process. Visit clari.com and learn how you can run revenue. That's clary.com. Visit today. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey ho, let's go. This is Lockheed Marketing, the podcast that helps you develop the lens for what makes legendary marketing legendary. Hosted by Christopher Lockhead, three-time CMO, godfather of category design, and a high school dropout, who the Marketing Journal calls one of the best minds in marketing, and The Economist calls off-putting to some. All right, so let's pop the hood on this deal. But before that, let me start with a little side note that uh, sort of is an interesting aha. When I uh, retired at about 38 as an operating executive from my last public company CMO gig, uh, I did a little bit of insulting and a little bit of advising, which I still do some of. And back then, a group approached me. I won't name the group, but they are sort of a matchmaking service for supposed industry experts and executives to connect them up with people on Wall Street looking to understand more about categories and companies and trends and, and the like. And the idea of this matchmaking service is they would pay uh, the quote-unquote expert or executive, somebody like myself, some amount of money per half hour, per hour, whatever it was, and that the Wall Street folks would uh, gain access to you and they could ask you a bunch of questions. So I thought, oh, this would be cool. As a CMO, I spent a lot of time on Wall Street and uh, did more analyst briefings than I can remember. And I thought this might be a cool way to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of Wall Street, maybe make some new relationships So I thought, sure, I'll give it a try. And I didn't really care about the money. I just thought it would be an interesting thing to do. Well, I did a few of these things, and they were so fucking stupid. Here's what all the calls were about. Do you know if X, Y, and Z company is going to miss the quarter? That was essentially the entire discussion. It was near-term, nose-picky, and all focused on my speculation about one company or another and whether or not they were going to hit the current quarter and their stock was going to tank or go up. And that was it. 
There was no, I had no strategic discussions about the evolution of the cloud and mobile computing and emerging new technologies and categories and strategically who's positioned and what cool categories and, and, and startups are emerging and how existing large mega category kings are navigating. We had nothing, no, nothing strategic, just a short term nose picking uh, set of conversations around with you. What do you think about company X and how do you think their quarter is going? So I did a few of these things and I stopped doing them. And so here's the aha. Most of the people, and this is a generalization, not all, who work on, a, on Wall Street, by definition, are mercenaries. And they're looking to make money in the now term, short term thinking. They are, and look, there's a role for this, et cetera. It's fine. It's not where I've lived my life. They don't create any value in the economy. They just try to anticipate what might happen tomorrow so that they can play a financialization game. And um, they're mercenaries. And this is not true of all of them. This is probably overly harsh, but many of them are what you might think of as assholes with spreadsheets. And uh, I decided that uh, I didn't want to spend any more time with these folks. <laughs> so that's the headset of a lot of Wall Street. Now, that said, We've written about this in Category Pirates. There will be a click through to the specific mini book newsletter on this idea. It's called Radical M&A Strategy, the difference between accelerating and consolidating a category. And here's the insight. At a high level, there's two kinds of acquisition deals. There are consolidation deals. And these deals typically happen in no growth to uh, slow growth categories. And what's essentially happening is two companies come together and they uh, pursue what they often call synergies. And as you know, synergies is business babble for cost takeout. And the thinking here is the category is not growing very much anymore. And so in order to grow earnings and revenue, we have to put two companies together, take a bunch of costs out. Bob's your uncle. Those are consolidation deals. And those are the vast majority of deals that get done. And typically... Wall Street is looking particularly, quote unquote, value investors, which mature companies tend to have more of and value investors tend to uh, value very predictable incremental uh, improvement over time and a well executed consolidation deal can provide that. And then the second kind of deal are acceleration deals. These are deals that get a lot of people on Wall Street very confused. And that's exactly what Adobe just did. So I want to uh, paraphrase a couple things from Category Pirates and then go to some of the specifics around this Adobe deal. Okay, so this is from Category Pirates. In 2006, Google acquired YouTube for $1.6 At the time, YouTube was barely a year old with just 10 employees. And despite having more than 50 million users worldwide, the startup hadn't generated any revenue and didn't look like it was going to for quite some time. So why did Google bite? If you were alive and paying attention to the startup slash business world back then, you remember how much of a backlash, how much criticism Google received for acquiring such a small, unprofitable company for just for a quote unquote jaw dropping amount. Wall Street, as well as many of the other publications and journalists covering the story, thought Google executives had lost their minds. You know, you hear this stuff like, oh, the only reason these deals happen is because weed's legal in California. Yeah, well, fast forward to 2019 and YouTube brought in 15 billion in advertising revenue. That was 9x more than just that year. So Google undervalued YouTube. YouTube is now the number two search engine 
on the planet. And if YouTube continues at its current growth rate, it could reach 30 billion in revenue or more surpassing Netflix. That's called buying the future. A similar situation happened in 2014 when Amazon acquired Twitch.tv for $970 million. Wall Street and mainstream media were confused as to why a retailer was buying a gaming streaming platform. But fast forward five years, and it's estimated that Twitch generated roughly $300 million in revenue per year, a third of the total acquisition cost. And that's not including the gaming super consumer data flywheel that they're able to drive. Twitch provides Amazon helping them sell more retail products to those specific types of customers. Not to mention the likelihood that the long-term category value in streaming games is colossal. And of course, the same thing happened again in 2017 when Amazon acquired Whole Foods for a whopping $13.4 billion. At the same time, very few people understood why Amazon would be buying a quote-unquote grocery store. It's painfully obvious today. And yet, just shy of two years later, Amazon generated 18 to 20 billion in grocery equivalent revenue. Facebook acquiring WhatsApp for 19 billion. They said the same thing. Disney acquiring Pixar for 7.4 billion. Marvel for 4.4 billion. And Star Wars for 4 billion. All of these are prime examples of radical category acceleration MA. Paying a premium to own the category king in the emerging or tangentially relevant category. Category kings buy category kings because they want the dominant leadership position. Because legends in business understand category king economics. They understand that one company captures 76% of the total category they own. And that's why you cannot just look at category acceleration acquisitions through a traditional consolidation or spreadsheet lens. Now, here's the aha. Adobe did not pay $20 billion for Figma's technology, products, people, or revenue. What they did pay for was the number one position in one of the most important new categories in their overall adjacent category landscape. And in the case of this transaction, it is both an offensive and defensive move. Let me explain. There's this new mega category that uh, Figma is part of that is generally referred to as no code. Companies like Figma, Wix, Squarespace, Canva, and many others are leaders in this no code thing. Now, here's what's really going on. And it is a massive category, as we call them, Frodo from two, from software tools for professionals to create things for other people to software tools for non-professionals to create things for themselves. So what Canva, by way of example, says is you don't need to hire a designer to create a social media uh, post. Just go to canva.com and you can whip one up yourself. And there's quote unquote, no coding required to design it. It's drag and drop, type in a couple words, download and Bob's your uncle. Well, Figma was trying to do the same thing in their space, um, which is around the creative design space. Well, guess what? Of course, Adobe is the leader in that with the, the creative suite and with things like um, uh, Photoshop uh, and so forth being leading products. Well, guess what? Figma was the leader in this new approach to no-code software for non 
professionals to create things for themselves without having to rely on those professionals. It's very clear that Adobe CEO Shantanu Naren and the executive team and the Adobe board understood all of this. Now, look, to be clear, I have zero financial in interest in any of this stuff. I don't own stock in any of these companies. I have met Shantanu and a few of the Adobe executives and board members over time, but I have no horse in this race, so to speak. What they did was very smart. They understood that this massive category shift was happening. They understood that it represented massive new potential for them to increase their category potential, a.k.a. total addressable market, or TAM. And they also understood that this new category that Figma was trying to build here potentially could erode the value of Adobe's core suite of technologies focused on the quote-unquote creative professional. So that's why it's both offensive and defensive. Now, here's the other thing they didn't do, which is incredible. Most tech companies are run by people who have a product lens and a sales lens. We make shit and we sell shit and everything else is bullshit. Well, it turns out very clearly that Chantanu and the team also had a category lens. What they could have easily done was convince themselves what many technology companies do, which is, oh, here's this new adjacent category that represents both opportunity and threat. I know. Let's put some of our best engineers on it and build a competitive product and attack head on. Well, all you have to do is ask Microsoft how the Microsoft store went and you'll find out why that's a losing strategy. Or go ask Google why Google Plus failed to attack Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Rarely does a frontal attack on a category king ever work. So they didn't do that here. What they did because they had a category lens, they understood that if they bought the category leader, they would have the leading position in an exponentially different category with radical new category potential that would allow for A, massive new growth opportunity, and B, allow them to uh, be defensive and develop a product line for professionals like they already have and technologies and products for non-professionals. And that way they win no matter how the mega category plays out over time. Now, Wall Street hates all of this. And for the most part, Wall Street doesn't even listen to any of that because what most of the time they want is incremental better. And what Adobe just did is called exponential different. Now, look, is it risky? Yes. Could Adobe fail? Absolutely. And is it fucking smart? Yes, it is. And Wall Street is dumb. That is to say, they do not understand the fundamentals of category design, category design economics, and what is required to be the company that designs and dominates a whole new market category into the future. For example, Edward Jones analyst Logan Perk downgraded Adobe stock to hold from a buy and said, quote, while we normally applaud acquisitions into new areas and markets, Adobe paid pandemic premiums when most software valuations have fallen significantly and recession concerns are increasing. To us, this feels like a reactionary move paying for growth at any costs. These concerns, combined with an estimated three-year break-even period on the investment, significantly increases deal risk in our view, end quote. 
Translation, we'd rather Adobe do incremental shit and milk their existing category. Well, guess what, uh, Mr. Perk? Nobody legendary ever did that. And Chantanu and the entire Adobe team has shown great courage and conviction of their courage on this one. Because legendary companies do not sit still. Legendary companies design and dominate new categories. Sometimes they do it through internal development efforts and launch it on their own. And sometimes they do it through category acceleration M&A. And if you listen to this quote from this guy, he says, basically, the problem is that it is a reactionary move paying for growth at any cost. And they paid a, quote, pandemic premium. And here's the reality. The premium that is paid for a category king in a massive new category potential is uh, determined by the potential in the future. And um, we'll only know whether this was smart five years from now. And chances are it will be. And they're devaluing the 40-yard pass to create a different future that Chantanu and the team just made. And that means they don't understand where real growth comes from. Adobe smart, Wall Street dumb. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage uh, to stand in the face of your stock getting hammered and people telling you how stupid you are to know that you are making a missionary move for the future of your company as opposed to just trying to squeeze the last little drop out of the past. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much uh, for your time and attention. Uh, and if you like this kind of radically different thinking, go to lockhead.com and subscribe to Category Pirates today. All right, we would like to thank you. Thank you very much for your time and attention. This oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and all rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this oddcast was absolutely created in a studio that does contain nuts. And before acting on today's information, please consult your lawyer, doctor, shaman, mystic, dental hygienist, yoga instructor, and of course, category designer. This oddcast does contain content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking and exponentially new outcomes. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Uh, check him out at jason.fyi if you want to do legendary podcasting. That's jason.fyi. Technical awesomeness and lockhead.com are built by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers, EX and RJ, do our web development. And Cedric Biros does our graphic and web design. Our law firm is Weed and Jack, and our accounts are three balance sheets to the wind. Also, don't forget to go to um, shakeology.com and try the yummy vanilla chai plant based vegan shakeology. Superfood dessert. How do you like that? Who knew that dessert could be superfood? Go to shakeology.com and check it out. And the thought I'll leave you with today comes from Albert Einstein, who said, Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. That's it. Please stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>